Hello, podcast listeners. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and welcome to the NK News podcast. Today, the day of recording, is Saturday, January 30th, 2021. Joining me via Zoom is Dr. Hu Chiu-Ping to talk about North Korea-Southeast Asia relations, as well as the assassination four years ago of Kim Jong-nam. First of all, I'd like to ask all of our listeners to please do me a favor. Wherever you listen to this podcast, please leave a review, whether that's on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I looked at our reviews the other day and realized that we had some positive feedback there, but it was looking old. And that's mostly my fault because I haven't been encouraging you uh, lately to leave reviews. So ladies and gentlemen, please leave some reviews and share the podcast with colleagues, friends, and even enemies. Uh, secondly, of course, check out NK News for your, uh, your specialist source on all trusted information about North Korea. Get behind the headlines at nknews.org. Consider buying a subscription for a year. And I believe it's uh, 30 percent off right now until Monday. Uh, it's more affordable than you think, and it helps to fund the excellent journalism that my colleagues put out every day. If you're already a subscriber, consider buying a subscription to NK Pro. Now, to introduce my guest properly, Dr. Hu Chiuping is Senior Lecturer in the Strategic Studies and International Relations Program at the National University of Malaysia. Her main research interests include Korean Peninsula security issues and the relations between Southeast Asia and the two Koreas. She has a forthcoming co-edited book volume with Shina Che and Brian Bridges on North Korea-Southeast Asia relations. Welcome on the show, Dr. Hu, and thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Jacko, for having me here. So almost exactly four years ago, on February 13, 2017, the older half-brother of Kim Jong-un died at Kuala Lumpur International Airport. How did you first hear about his death? When I first heard about this news, I was actually in China. So I mm. was attending a think tank exchange and conferences. So when I was being told about the news, I was um, um, being contacted by um, many media, including newspapers, radio stations. So I have to prepare to receive those mm. interviews uh, upon my return. So uh, that was mm. quite a journey. Was it immediately clear to you that this was the brother of Kim Jong-un? Oh, yes. And did you immediately think that it was an assassination? Yeah, so before I could uh, find out more details, so I have reservation because from the Malaysian news, it was reported that the person's name is um, King Chul. But as I found out more and more, um, our photos have been uh, um, shown, then I was uh, quite certain that that was King Chong Nam. Tell us about the uh, Malaysian government's response to the murder. So I think um, Malaysian government um, um, did not expect it, this to happen at all. So um, the initial reaction shows um, the under response uh, from the government. So the police have the uh, full authority on this matter. And uh, without consulting um, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and probably uh, not um, consulting Prime Minister's office as well. So they thought this is a um, domestic affair and should mm -hmm. be handled as such. Right. But uh, it quickly became clear that there was uh, some international aspects to it. Uh, and the North Korean embassy also became involved, didn't it? 
Yeah, that's right. So when it becomes clear that uh, they are not dealing with just any uh, other um, murder case, so um, National Security Council of Malaysia immediately convened a meeting uh, among the Prime Minister's office uh, with the Ministry of Home Affairs and many other um, security-related agency. Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, was finally involved in the matter, and this is also the stage where um, it became an international Affairs. Now, I believe that uh, for the last years of his life, Kim Jong-nam was living uh, mostly in Macau. Uh, why do you think Malaysia was used as the venue for his assassination? Well, I think um, as the story developed um, after the assassinations, um, at some point, um, I think some of the insiders do, did reveal that uh, the assassination was supposed to be carried out in Macau. Mm. Um, but uh, when they get to know his itiner- he has an updated uh, itinerary to travel to Kuala Lumpur. And this mm. is why the assassination attempt was shifted to Kuala Lumpur instead. Ah, okay. So it was simply a, a matter of convenience because of his travel schedule. That's right. Right. Now, how was the um, Malaysian uh, relationship to North Korea before this event? I understand that North Korean citizens had uh, special visa-free travel travel privileges. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So actually, North Korea has quite a good diplomatic relations with almost all Southeast Asian countries. Mm. So uh, with Malaysia in particular, uh, not only there is a visa-free arrangement, but there is also flight operation. So Air Korea was uh, allowed to land in Kuala Lumpur International Airport. But oh. right before the um, assassination, so which is by 2016, so the flight schedules has been reduced over the the years, uh, right until the point before the assassination. Um, aside from the direct um, flight route between Pyongyang and Kuala Lumpur, mm-hmm. there is also um, tourism agreement. So I think it was about two weeks before, or one week, <laughs> I forgot mm. um, the time, sorry about that. Um, there mm-hmm. was actually an renewed cultural agreement between the government of Malaysia and DPRK due to be signed and ratified by both sides. So when the assassination uh, uh, happened, the agreement was just being handed over to the North Korean side to be signed. Ah. So um, because of the assassination, the agreement has been put on hold and until today, it has not been ratified by um, Malaysian side, at least. What other effects um, or, or changes did the uh, the assassination of Kim Jong Nam bring to the relationship that Malaysia has with North Korea? So, since we set up the official diplomatic relations in 1973. So um, negotiation has not been um, very smooth. So it took them about five years to convince the Malaysian government to set up uh, the DPRK embassy in um, Kuala Lumpur. The trade uh, agreement, so of course, at the same time, um, Malaysia has um, also uh, maintained uh, trade relations with um, South Korea. So on the North Korean side, it has not been uh, taken off well until uh, in the 80s. Under Malaysia's fourth Prime Minister, Prime uh, Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad. So it was since then, uh, because he met Kim Il-sung in person in Pyongyang as uh-huh. when he was the Deputy Prime Minister and also the Minister of Trade of Malaysia who signed the first trade agreement between Malaysia 
Asia and North Korea. So he paid particular interest in these relations and developed further. And this is why we had the uh, Malaysian-North Korea relations that seems to be going well uh, until the point of um, assassination. Uh, does Malaysia have an embassy in Pyongyang? Oh, yes, we do. So only five out of 10 Southeast Asian countries maintain embassy in Pyongyang. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, we, we'll talk about the other four uh, later on when we talk about your book. Um, didn't the uh, North Korean government effectively hold some uh, Malaysian diplomats or their family members hostage for a while until the uh, North Koreans who were accused of being involved in Kim Jong-nam's killing were allowed to leave Malaysia? Yeah, so at a time when it was revealed that uh, Kim Chol was actually Kim Jong-nam, so there was a kind of a diplomatic tensions bilaterally. Mm. So there were already um, media reach out to Malaysian ambassador to North Korea saying that are you being evicted anytime soon? And the Malaysian ambassador actually assured the media that no, he was not. So, um, but that was when um, the Prime Minister of Malaysia and also Minister of Foreign Affairs, so he said something to the uh, effect that uh, North Korea should not intervene in our domestic investigation of the murder. Mm-hmm. So that was when the um, diplomatic tension escalated and North Korea announced that they are holding, mm-hmm. um, they are evicting Malaysian ambassador from Pyongyang. And I met the ambassador before and he told me that uh, he was being invited to the airport immediately without any luggage with him oh. and with his personal items left in the um, embassy the office. So it was quite uh, dramatic as it seems and the rest of the Malaysian diplomats were held um, um, at the um, Pyongyang. Oh, so the ambassador was told to go but everybody else was told to stay. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And how long did that last for? Um, I forgot about the exact timeline, but mm-hmm. uh, that was when Malaysia changed the attitude in the investigation. So um, during this um, diplomatic crisis, Malaysian side was being accused um, in complicit with the South Korean side to um, um, to have a say to dominate the um, the development of the investigation. So I think in order to to convince the North Korean side that we were actually conducting the investigation independently. So Malaysia promised uh, many things and kind of do a 180 degree turn Mm. on how the thing would escalate. So in the end, we agreed to hand over Kim Jong-nam's body, which met with um, United States and also South Koreans uh, protests. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so a lot of arrangements being made. And after the body was handover, our diplomats were released back to Kuala Lumpur. So and we we consider this uh, uh, diplomatic crisis over. But also the uh, uh, the three or four North Korean men who were accused of being involved in the killing were allowed to travel back to Pyongyang uh, without being arrested, didn't they? That's right. Um, yeah. Before the return, um, our police actually get their um, account of their story at the mm-hmm. North Korean embassy. So that was part of the arrangement. Mm. So uh, we have their account and they are allowed to leave. So that, that's the uh, Malaysian-North Korean arrangement. Is it possible that they could ever be summoned to come back to Malaysia to stand trial for anything? 
Yeah, I think our um, legal framework and the law uh, is not clear on this part. So, mm. of course, for the interests of um, the international community, there is a need to do so. But since they are returned to within the DPRK their territory, so there is no way for us to yeah, um, yeah conduct any uh, further <laughs> investigation since they have returned. Yeah, it's, it's practically impossible. Uh, so eventually, after their... Uh, um, well, around that time, the uh, investigation came to center on uh, two women who were caught on CCTV as actually applying the uh, the nerve ga- uh, sorry the nerve agent uh, to uh, Kim Dong Nam. For some reason, I can't remember the name of the nerve agent right now. What was the chemical that they were using? Uh, VX agent. Yeah. Ah, right, VX. Okay. So uh, there were two women, uh, one from uh, Indonesia and one from Vietnam, who. Um, applied the VX to uh, Kim Jong-nam's face that led to his death. They were charged with murder. But since then, I mean, here we are almost four years later, uh, the two women were uh, let go, ultimately. First the, um, gosh, I've forgotten the order now. I think it was first the Indonesian woman and then the Vietnamese woman. They were both let go. Is the matter more or less closed and concluded as far as the Malaysian government is concerned? Yes, um, to the Malaysian government, they consider the release of um, Siti Aisha and Duan Thi Huang as the um, closing of the case. So um, there was a lot of um, um, like a roller coaster ride in regards yeah. to the trial of these two women. So um, initially, the jurisdiction um, um, handled the case um, independently. So when um, so coincidentally at that time, uh, Mahade was uh, um, uh, won the election on behalf of the opposition party so mm-hmm. he became the prime minister for the second time so right. he took an interest in this case and argued that uh, there is um, um, nothing wrong uh, with these two women who are uh, uh, complicit uh, in this case so we should mm-hmm. let them go so Malaysia Indonesia um, um, take um, Indonesia is the most important bilateral partner of Malaysia in Southeast Asia. So um, it was understood that uh, Indonesia uh, had a very aggressive uh, diplomatic mm. charm <laughs> offensive mm-hmm. uh, with the Malaysian side. So Siti Aisha was being uh, secured her release first and um, followed suit by the Vietnamese counterpart uh, who uh, at that time uh, was uh, navigating for the first time how to um, um, negotiate with the Malaysian counterparts. So right. eventually they um, also secured the release of their citizen. Mm-hmm. So for Malaysia, so uh, for Mahade actually, so he actually uh, was very keen to resume the operation of Malaysian embassy in Pyongyang. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the reasons why um, the, the case was uh, closed uh, quite hastily in this fashion. Uh, just talking about um, domestic politics in Malaysia, is that a challenge to um, the the separation of powers between the, the executive branch and the judiciary of the government? So Mahade has been a controversial figure in Malaysia, mm-hmm. um, uh, much unlike to Park Chung-hee. And uh, he is the one that um, led Malaysia um, to be more visible on the world stage. But mm-hmm. he is also arguably the one that mingled into the uh, judiciary independence. So mm-hmm. um, with, with he coming back in the government, even though the um, opposition party in power again, which is known as the um, the Hope Coalition, uh, yep. was supposed to restore the um, judiciary independence and all that. But he betrayed those trusts. And this is why he was 
Thomas uh, easily being uh, hijacked of his power, um, only being two years uh, in the government for mm. the second time. So a pro-conservative um, um, coalition government right now has no interest to resume um, diplomatic relations with mm. North Korea, So, um, but uh, they no longer wish to pursue this um, matter as well. I guess that uh, um, even... Even if they were interested, uh, because of COVID, there's probably nobody at the, uh, the Malaysian embassy in Pyongyang right now. Am I correct? <laughs> and also, the Malaysian diplomats uh, may not wish to be um, <laughs> being um, sent to Pyongyang embassy as well. Now, uh, as a scholar of international relations, how do you look back upon the whole saga? Well, I think uh, Malaysia risks um, being the only Southeast Asian countries that doesn't have um, diplomatic relations with North Korea as of now. So mm. ASEAN, um, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, um, has been engaging uh, North Korea uh, in the only multilateral platform that they are engaged in after mm. the six, the closure of um, six-party talks, so, which is by ASEAN Regional Forum. So one thing of concern is that after the ASEAN assassination, North Korea has not sent the high-level representative to the ARF um, forum as well. This engagement from the um, International Multilateral Forum, so we do see this form of disengagement uh, is quite concerning. So ASEAN always have this motto of um, um, being a socializing platform. So we are among the first to socialize China into the international community. So we actually hope uh, to do the same with North Korea, but mm. now with all the um, 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 diplomatic withdrawal. So this is one point of concern for Malaysia and also for ASEAN. Uh, last year, a documentary film was released called Assassins that covered the story from start to finish. Have you watched it? Oh, yes, I did. Uh, how do you assess that film? Is there anything new to be learned by watching it? Um, I think um, for someone, uh, anyone who followed the story quite closely, um, there were not too many surprising um, mm. facts coming out from that film. Okay. Uh, is it a documentary worth watching for maybe some of our listeners are interested but haven't seen it yet? Uh, would you recommend oh, they have a look um, at it? <laughs> very much worthwhile uh, because mm. the only other film I think is by Al Jazeera that oh. uh, also interviewed those um, lawyer um, teams yeah. um, that defended Siti Aisha and Duan Ti Huang. So, uh, but this uh, film, The Assassination, definitely revealed much more than uh, what Al Jazeera has shown. Okay. Uh, now let's talk more broadly about North Korea's relationship with Malaysia specifically. Um, you mentioned earlier that in 1973, uh, there was normalization, between, uh, diplomatic normalization between the two countries. Uh, how did they come to develop such a close relationship? It's an odd, an odd pair of bedfellows, I guess. I mean, you've got Malaysia that's a, uh, uh, a former colony of Great Britain, a member of the Commonwealth, and then you've got North Korea that's <laughs> anti-imperialist. Uh, it's an interesting relationship. How did that grow? Yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting that you raised about the anti-imperialism. Um, so that was true uh, for the at, at the beginning of uh, what was known as from British Malaya. So we become mm -hmm. a Malayan federation. And uh, with the joining of East Malaysia, so we uh, established and become known as Malaysia uh, in 1963. At that point, uh, we uh, we have our first um, prime minister, Tunku Abdul Rahman, was uh, very pro-West mm. and uh, anti-imperialist. So there was uh, we established our relations with South Korea first. So, um, but at the um, 
towards the end of 1960s, there was a change uh, in the domestic setting. So we have uh, what was known as the um, social economic um, transformation and challenges. So our second prime minister, um, Dun Raza, uh, is quite forward looking in terms of um, priori um, prioritizing economic pragmatism in diplomatic practice. So he began to normalize relations with um, Soviet Union. East Germany, North Vietnam. So um, mm. the fourth uh, in line was actually North Korea. Uh -huh. So it was actually debated in the parliament of Malaysia. So the opposition party questioned the rationale to, re um, to recognize North Korea and many other um, uh, Soviet um, um, countries and communist countries. It was debated on the line of uh, economic pragmatism that um, uh, it was being uh, approved and passed. So we established the uh, relations with North Korea well be one year before uh, we established diplomatic relations with China. So that was quite mm. uh, interesting. That is interesting. Did uh, establishing relations with North Korea mean that Malaysia had to cut relations with South Korea? The South Korean ambassador at that time actually protested <laughs> to yeah. our prime minister and also to our Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So we assured that um, we will not harm the interests. So from the um, National Archive document that I managed mm. to acquire, so there were conversations uh, between the Prime Minister Office and also the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Mm. So we took note of South Korea's concern and there is a private letter sent from Park Chung-hee to our wow. Prime Minister as well, expressing his concern. But uh, when they knew that uh, we had debated in the parliament and we have made our decision and there's nothing much they can do, yeah. so they actually started to welcome and uh, called um, um, the part government also called on Malaysia to play a part in the peace process between North and South Korea. Mm. And this is how Malaysia has been positioning itself between mm. the two Koreas. So we vow on neutrality principle and trying to promote the Korean peace process. So I think we have um, doing this um, um, are playing this role rather well. Um, Malaysia, both Malaysia and Singapore has um, convened some secret meetings mm -hmm. for both United States, North Korea, and also between South Korea and North Korea along the sideline of ASEAN meetings yeah. in the 2000s and uh, uh, in parallel with the six-party talks as well. So this uh, is the, actually was the testament to our neutrality principle being applied to um, the two Koreas. Was Malaysia uh, maybe the first country in the world to have um, diplomatic relations with both Koreas at the same time? Um, no. So many other countries beat us to that. So that ah. includes um, Indonesia. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and um, um, Vietnam comes um, established relations with South Korea later, I guess. But mm. um, one interesting thing to note is that all Southeast Asian countries, all 10 of them, including the 11 Timor-Leste, all of them um, established bilateral relations with both North and South Korea. Okay. Wow. Now, what about in the United Nations? Uh, I know that uh, part of the um, uh, competition between the two Koreas extended to uh, United Nations General Assembly. Uh, did either Korea put pressure on Malaysia uh, to support their uh, motions in the United Nations? So I think in terms of uh, during the Cold War, um, North Korea have more success with the Southeast Asian countries mm. because um, it was um, on, I think, on Indonesia and Malaysia's invitation and also their support that North Korea was accepted as part of the non-aligned movement. Uh, uh, with Malaysia 
you're part of that as well. Yeah, that's ah. right. And um, so, and South Korea, after uh, knowing that uh, North Korea successfully being admitted as part of non-member, so mm -hmm. South Korea applied as well, but was being rejected. Ah. So um, North Korean gained more traction among the so-called third world diplomacy yep. um, uh, because of that. Now, uh, let's talk about today, um, or more recently, what are the uh, major areas of trade between North Korea and Malaysia? Uh, we have actually suspended uh, most of our um, cultural exchanges, so um, trade has been reduced. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we was that because of the Kim Jong-nam killing? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh -huh, so okay. it was actually the turning point. So right. if, um, because I look at the trade um, statistics, so actually a year after the um, assassination, so the assassination happened in 2017. Yeah. So in 2018, Malaysia, North Korea actually recorded the highest number of uh, total trade <laughs> between oh. the two countries. So when I asked the, um, um, the, the, the trade ministry, why is that mm. the case? So they that uh, it was the pre-arranged um, agreement that they uh -huh. have uh, have to fulfill. So, um, so right after that, the the trade um, volume has uh, reduced um, mm -hmm. dramatically. After that, so what are the the major items of trade? So at the beginning of the trade, um, on top of the list, um, interestingly, from North Korea, it was um, machinery tools. And from mm. Malaysia, it was raw materials such as um, um, our rubber um, oh. and then our some of our timber. Initially, we have the same trade items with North Korea and also with South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> so um, right now, it has um, um, evolved to become very different now. We also have kind of um, chemical items on the list and also some um, engineering items and medical equipments. So yeah, it changed from time to time. So you mean that uh, Malaysia has exported uh, medical equipment to uh, to North Korea sometimes? Yeah, so oh. the uh, first sec DPRK's first secretary here um, take care of the, um, aspects such as um, science and technology research and also medical health um, mm -hmm. assistance. Now, are there uh, military to military relations between the two countries? Um, not really. So for South Korea and Malaysia military exchange, uh, it was... Uh, quite active until the 80s, but mm -hmm. under the second Mahathir government, there is a interest to explore the defense industrial cooperation, but that is also due to um, Moon Jae-in government's new southern policy that expand uh, relations and exchanges with Southeast Asian nations as a whole. But uh -huh. with North Korea, there was none. But of course, um, due to the um, assassination incident, uh, it was revealed that some of the North Korean company actually set up their offices in Malaysia to sell some of their uh, weapons and arms. That's right. I was about to ask you to tell us a little bit about Glowcom. Yeah, um, Glowcom, so the address that they use uh, turned out to be an empty uh, office address. So um, I think over the assassination uh, investigation, a lot of um, um, journalists was uh, <laughs> waiting mm -hmm. and trying to find out if anyone have ever entered the office. There was none. Actually, they, um, they used the address to set up a company, a registered company number um, to set up the website. So I think that is actually the main purpose. So mm -hmm. um, Glowcom used to use .com.my uh, as the URL. So mm -hmm. after the revelation of assassination and the highlight like on the company itself. So it, they have changed the um, website uh, many times afterwards. Uh, and now, um, did, you, did you say that they were in an antique store? 
Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, it's empty. So um, there was uh, no oh, one empty. occupying oh, I see. it. <laughs> sorry. Ah, okay. Uh, but it was a, a kind of a, a North Korean company uh, trading through Malaysia to sell arms to the world. Have I got that correct? Yeah, that's right. Right. And, and it was some quite high tech um, military equipment. I mean, not just guns and bullets, but also things like uh, jamming, uh, you know, signal jamming devices and stuff like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, radi uh, radar, um, radio equipments, and uh, at one point I managed to screen cut a tank, a no. mini tank of sorts. Yeah, so arm armored vehicle as well. Was there? I mean, I know you said that the office that they used for the website registration was empty, but was there any uh, stock um, kept in Malaysia, or was it all being sent directly from North Korea? Yeah, the items would be um, from North Korea. So the mm -hmm. uh, Malaysian URL or website. So our IP address has been used uh, quite frequently uh, before the revelation of the um, um, assassination. So yeah. if you remember. Remember the Sony attack uh, oh, after yes, the, the release the of the interview? Yeah, yeah so um, the the DOD service attack was actually from Malaysia. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, that's right. So the cyber troopers did make use of some of Malaysian IP addresses as well. D does that mean that North Korean uh, cyber um, warriors would be based in Malaysia or they're just using the internet to take advantage of Malaysia's to take advantage of yeah. Malaysia as a, as a middle point. At the beginning of the revelation of the assassination, so it was found out that there were about 1,000 North Korean citizens in Malaysia. That's a so, lot. Um, yeah. So th those include uh, so-called business elites and uh, Ri Jong-chol, who was uh, the suspect number one, who uh, mm. may, might be the person who brought in the uh, VX North Asian. Mm. So um, um, he was actually employed under the pretext of being an IT uh, specialist. Uh -huh. So um, I think he is not the IT specialist, actually. Oh. So it was the other North Korean workers who were employed or uh, running business in Malaysia. Um, yeah. They even provided IT support to Malaysian companies, actually. Yeah, I believe they, they, they used those um, infrastructure to, to launch their cyber attacks somehow. Do we know any, do we have any idea how many North Korean citizens are currently in Malaysia? Um, probably less than 20. So aside, ah. so some of those North Korean citizens, they actually acquired, um, so Malaysia, we have this Malaysian second home um, plan project mm -hmm. program Yeah, for foreigners who wish to uh, retire and reside in Malaysia. So mm. they are the Malaysian second home program holders. So you mean they might now be actual citizens of Malaysia? No, um, they oh, are okay. foreign citizens who wish ah. to stay in Malaysia for the long term. So most of the 1,000 who were there before the assassination have gone back. Yeah, so I think that figure also include the miners who were employed ah. at the mining in uh, eastern Malaysia. Mm -hmm. uh, do you believe that diplomatic relations between the two countries can recover in the near future? I don't think so. So aside from Mahadev and those um, the veteran diplomats um, under the Mahadev first administration are now retired ambassadors. Mm -hmm. So um, highly unlikely that uh, the current younger generation of diplomatic corps uh, have any sort of uh, relations with um, the North Korean side. So also the 
so-called business community that supports um, North Korean uh, business people um, in Malaysia before, and now also um, under the pressure of the United States, and we are also under the U. United Nations panel of experts, um, North Korean sanctions um, right. um, investigation. So to um, same as Singapore as well. So highly unlikely we would do anything that would uh, attract attention from the international community. Mm, okay. Uh, now let's uh, widen our conversation a little bit to North Korea Southeast Asia relations, and of course uh, your forthcoming book. Uh, you already mentioned that uh, North Korea was uh, formerly uh, involved in the ASEAN Regional Forum, one of the only uh, multilateral fora that it was involved in. But uh, over the years, North Korea has had quite a varied uh, experience of relations with Southeast Asian nations. Uh, let's take Cambodia. Uh, during the Khmer Rouge, uh, Prince Norodom Sihanouk spent some time living in exile in Pyongyang in a villa that Kim Il-sung had prepared for him. In 1983, Myanmar, then called Burma, suffered a bomb attack that killed some members of the South Korean government and that put relations between Myanmar and North Korea on ice for decades. They weren't restored until 2007. So that's just three examples. Um, tell us a bit more. Can we make any general statements about North Korea-Southeast Asian relations? Yeah, so um, this set of uh, relations is often um, understudied by most of the, even by the North Korean experts. So mm -hmm. I think Benjamin Yang is the only person that I can recall off my head that uh, pay really attention to North Korea's diplomatic relations among the third world <laughs> countries. Ah. And uh, so my uh, book co-editor, um, Brian Bridges, uh, is a British professor uh, who is also a Malaysian as a second home citizen <laughs> here mm. in Malaysia. Malaysia, so he retired from Linnan University of Hong Kong. So he did write an uh, article on the Southeast Asian North Korea relations and, and cover the points that uh, you mentioned just now. Yeah. So um, we think that uh, Southeast Asia North Korea is uh, uh, worthy of um, studying because um, all of us have diplomatic relations now except uh, Malaysia and all of mm. us had uh, uh, trade relations and also cultural exchange. We often been invited to um, participate in um, Pyongyang's um, international event before um, the pandemic. So, so some of the Southeast Asian countries such as Singapore and Brunei wish to maintain a very low profile. So for instance, if you look up to um, Indonesia, North Korea trade, so mm -hmm. they have trade items divided into oil and non-oil trade items, <laughs> ah. so which is very interesting. And we don't know what are the details under the non-oil items. Mm. And as for Brunei, there is zero information that you can find. But uh, from time to time, uh, North Korean uh, leaders, uh, including Kim Jong-un, would send congratulatory uh, um, remarks to um, Brunei King, the Sultan. Yeah, so we, we have maintained quite a long-standing um, relations. Vietnam and Indonesia are the longest um, partner from Southeast Asia and uh, East Timor, despite being the, um, the, the newly independent uh, state in Southeast Asia, also has a visa waiver agreement with North Korea. Oh. <laughs> and that makes you wonder how they <laughs> managed to um, uh, put in contact with each other, right? 
I think Brunei and Philippines um, so far are the only two embassy had their uh, consular office placed in another country. Otherwise, um, other um, North Korean has set up consular office in, in most of the other countries. Mm. And um, before Singapore, Cambodia was the point country to manage the shipping um, um, routes, uh, flying North Korean flag or non-North Korean flag for North Korean vessels. Mm -hmm. So um, Myanmar at one point was being uh, under a suspicion of um, having this um, nuclear or missile joint program with North Korea, but that was huh. being halted because of U.S. sanctions and the opening of Myanmar by the uh, under the Obama administration. So all of this also shows that uh, Southeast Asia has always been caught in this um, great powers pressure, whether it is yeah. from the United States of China when we want to, and also from South Korea when we want to deal with um, North Korea. Was it difficult for North Korea and Myanmar to uh, renew their relationship um, after the uh, the bombing of 1983? I mean, I, I know it took, what, nearly 25 years, but uh, was there a, a change or some event that happened that, that made that uh, renewal possible? Oh, yes, they did. Uh, so they actually started to resume their relations in 2000s. So it was under the radar until um, Singapore uh, intercepted a shipment from North Korea headed to Yangon, <laughs> to mm. Myanmar. So it was um, incepted under the um, Proliferation Security Initiative uh, oh. in collaboration with the United States. So mm -hmm. it was flagged um, as having the firearms on board of the vessel. So um, North Korean vessel uh, refused inspection and re hmm. returned to North Korea instead. So, uh -huh. um, so it was in the mid-2000s. So by 2008, uh, we uh, discovered that uh, they actually resumed uh, military cooperation. So hmm. it was found that high-level military delegation was exchanged uh, between these two countries. So yeah, they were under the um, um, limelight again uh, because right. of that. So um, since then, the uh, embassy of North Korea in Yangon was running, but there was no um, representative of Myanmar in North Korea. Hmm. Now, for the last two decades, many North Korean refugees who have fled their home country have traveled through Southeast Asia, notably through Thailand to reach South right. Korea. How has this affected uh, relations uh, with North Korea? Very, very complicated. So um, both Thailand and the Philippines actually participated and contributed uh, in the Korean War to mm. the United Nations Command. So, yeah. um, so understandably, they have a complicated relations with um, North Korea. <laughs> so for, for Thailand, uh, it was known as the only Southeast Asian countries never been colonized by any um, Western powers. Yeah. So they took pride in their, um, also based on the principle of neutrality, uh, they are able to make friends with anyone. So Thailand actually established um, diplomatic relations with um, North Korea in 1975. So late 60s to early 70s is when North Korea under Kim Il-sung launched um, diplomatic charm offensive towards mm -hmm. most, almost all of the Southeast Asian countries. And that is also the most um, 
um, Southeast Asian countries signing up um, their diplomatic relations with um, North Korea in early 70s. So um, Thailand um, has uh, kept this in a very low profile way in terms yeah. of North Korean refugees. So the route uh, is very secure. It was never revealed to any third party or countries. Um, they are actually among the top five uh, trade partner of North Korea as well oh. for a very long time. Yes. Is it, is it raw so, materials from Thailand? Is that the main trade item? So um, imagine um, the silks that you bought from um, Thailand, right? So yeah. um, um, so Thailand is increasingly uh, industrialized. So there was not many silkworm to begin with because of deforestation and whatnot. Ah. So they actually uh, import a lot of silk from North Korea. North <laughs> so, Korean silk um, being used in Thai, in Thai uh, suit and, and clothes making. That's interesting. Yeah, that's right. So one of the South Korean diplomat explained to me when I shared this information. So he was like, are you telling me that um, the silks that I bought from Thai is actually from North <laughs> Korea? I said, well, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. Wow. Um, now, in the ASEAN Regional Forum, has North Korea taken part in any security dialogues? Oh, yeah. So it's the ASEAN Regional Forum. So in which um, ASEAN and the dialogue partner, including North Korea, so any countries that have signed a treaty of amity and cooperation with ASEAN uh, can participate in this dialogue. So that include Australia, New Zealand, United States, South Korea, Japan, North Korea. So it is because of this um, security, regional security forum that um, whatever, uh, whenever it is in the, being held in um, Southeast Asian host country, we would um, always arrange um, the the so-called um, back channel um, diplomacy or ah. the, the coffee table diplomacy. So there will be um, secret bilateral or mini lateral meeting um, mm. um, being arranged for United States, South Korea, um, North Korea, and Japan um, during the um, six party talks. Russia is also part of uh, the dialogue partner. So um, it used to be a very useful platform and it was actually um, the first platform being considered before the six party talks was mm. uh, started being convened in 2003. So ASEAN Regional Forum was established in 1994 because of the first North Korean nuclear crisis that erupted mm. in 1993. It was being discussed during the ASEAN meeting and ASEAN chair at that year proposed to set up a regional security forum and that become the ASEAN Regional Forum and North Korea was being invited to. But they didn't come, but the uh, United States, South Korea and many other regional powers um, um, convened ARF and to discuss about the North Korean nuclear crisis. Uh, but they, they haven't been coming recently, is that right? Yeah, um, so it was being convened every year, um, along right. with the ASEAN summit. The topic of uh, in recent year has been um, on condemnation of North Korean nuclear tests, missile mm. tests, and then the assassination. Um, actually, um, the assassination wasn't being condemned during the oh. ASEAN meeting of that year. So oh. um, the foreign ministers of ASEAN have difficulty to come to terms with what to do and what kind of statement be released on North mm. Korea in regards to the assassination. Um, so um, they decided not to say anything. So for mm -hmm. me, that is a, um, they missed a, a golden opportunity to make the Korean Peninsula issue become part of the ASEAN agenda. So which to me is a shame. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like perhaps um, uh, the ASEAN Regional Forum is, is no longer very relevant in terms of uh, regional peace and security, at least as far as North Korea is concerned. Yeah, that's right. 
Mm. Now, of course, famously, uh, former President Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un chose to have their first summit in Singapore. Do you know how yeah. that decision was made and why? Um, I think there is a lot of discussion whether the, the summit will go on. I think few months, three or four months before the Singapore summit, they suddenly cancelled, said it's not going to happen. Yeah. And then it uh, was uh, sh um, being shared that it would happen again. Um, DPRK embassy in Singapore play a part in uh, jointly um, arrange um, to make this submit uh, a success. So uh, I think that was the first time uh, in Southeast Asia we see that uh, a North Korea embassy playing a very important mm -hmm. part in um, um, being involved in such a high-level submit. Now, uh, tell us more about your forthcoming book on North Korean Southeast Asia relations. We gather most of the um, Southeast Asian researchers um, to provide their views about um, the bilateral relations with our uh, our respective countries with North Korea. So um, the each chapter was organized um, in terms of a historical development of the bilateral relations mm -hmm. and also our trade and economic relations and also the niche area of um, um, the, the unique points of our bilateral relations. For instance, mm. some focus on sport diplomacy, some more mm -hmm. on cultural such as art and dance, some on um, like a building of rice museum in Cambodia and also in Malaysia. <laughs> so wow. there were many interesting aspect um, between North Korea and Southeast Asia that is not um, known to um, many um, um, people. So we also hope to um, provide some overview about why and uh, how North Korea has established diplomatic relations in this region and why Southeast Asian countries um, um, so uh, intend to maintain this set of relations with North Korea and also with South Korea. I'm familiar with the uh... Angkor uh, Museum that North Korea built in uh, in Cambodia near Siem Reap. But what was what's the museum that they uh, did? You say there was another one in Malaysia, another museum. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what what kind of museum is that? Uh, also a rice museum. So um, so my core book editor, um, Shine uh, Chue. So yeah. um, she was so after the the book workshop. So she managed to uh, follow me on a trip to visit the rice museum, which is in northern Malaysia. So um, so it's a museum stayed, about uh, rice and rice growing. Yeah, that's right. Oh. So according to her, she also visited the one in Angkor. So oh. she said that the one in Malaysia is actually much larger and better maintained than the one in Cambodia. <laughs> hmm. Are there so, <laughs> um, are there actually North Korean staff on site in Malaysia at the or were there uh, North Korean staff permanently stationed at the museum? So I actually managed to secure um, interview with the museum uh, officials. Mm -hmm. So they shared that um, um, the North Korean uh, Mansude artist was yes. actually living in the rice uh, paddy state for one year. Wow. So, <laughs> so to watch the seasonal change in the northern states and how people live their life in the uh, Malay uh, rice village. So um, they painted a 360 degree paranormal of the panorama yeah, that's uh, right. paintings. Yes. They have one in, in um, Cambodia yeah, and I think one in Syria, <laughs> one in Egypt, and of course the famous one at the Korean War Museum in Pyongyang. 
Right, right. So um, they created one in Malaysia. So the centerpiece is, of course, that paranormal um, painting. But mm. outside, before you get to view the um, paranormal painting, you get to see they painted um, the Malaysian scenery and also so the, the museum was located in the home state of um, um, Prime Minister, um, former Prime Minister Mahathir. So huh? Mahathir come from Kedah. So Kedah is known from known as the rice bowl of Malaysia. Okay. <laughs> so um, so it was again uh, because of his personal uh, relations with Kim Il Sung. So he actually commissioned this project uh, at the time when North Korea was under uh, when the famine crisis in the mid. 90s oh so yeah so it was at that time uh we contracted uh, mansude artists to come to malaysia and to mm. live here for one year and the project took a few years to finish uh but they have problem to um because of the asian financial crisis so the malaysian side has trouble to to finish the um, financing mm. so finally only in early 2000 that we officiated the opening of this rice museum in malaysia Oh, that was quite a long, uh, long-term project then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, I, I understand that in uh, in writing your own chapter uh, for the book, that uh, a subscription to NK Pro was uh, useful in gathering data. Is that right? Oh yes, right. So we actually contracted based on the research group. So all of the research um, group members get to uh, access. So I also find the uh, NK uh, shipping, um, the aviation uh, map was um, also useful for us to track um, how was the interaction between North Korea and Southeast Asia um, proved to be very useful for us. Otherwise, um, that kind of data is not easily acquired um, just by the normal internet search online. That's right. So for our listeners, if you are after very granular and detailed information on North Korea, do upgrade from NK News to an NK Pro subscription. Uh, what will the title of the book be, uh, be when it comes out in uh, publication? Oh my goodness. So we are in discussion <laughs> ah. with the um, 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 the publisher right now. So mm-hmm. um, so I think the tentative um, title um, would be, hold on a second. Mm. Who is the so, publisher? Uh, uh, we are looking at Routledge. Oh yeah, Routledge. Yeah, yes. So the usual academic textbook kind of publisher. So mm-hmm. um, the book title is tentatively Southeast Asia DPRK Relations drivers, linkages, and strategic ambivalence. Okay, drivers, linkages, and strategic ambivalence. That does sound like uh, a very uh, interesting book indeed. When will it come out? Uh, We hope by the end of this year. Okay, by the end of 2021. All right. Uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) uh, People will be able to buy it uh, direct through Rutledge or uh, online through uh, all good online bookstores. Yeah, hopefully. And we actually plan before the pandemic, we will hold book talks. Um, so mm. um, maybe um, that um, if the pandemic is still not over by the end of this year, so maybe we will conduct some um, online book talk. And um, by that time, I will share it again um, via my institutional website. I do appreciate online book talks, uh, talk, book talks because uh, yeah. it means that wherever you are in the world, as long as you're awake, you can participate in it. And that's great. Yeah, it's, that's uh, right. It's much less limited. Yeah. And what's your, uh, your next research uh, going to be? 
Um, I plan to work on some China, North Korea, but that has not gone well because of the funding issues. So mm. uh, COVID-19 causes to, to change our research track. So my next one is probably with um, um, Ramon uh, on the ASEAN and Europe's uh, engagement with North Korea. So I think ah, we, w- we want to look from a comparative um, regional engagement with North Korea. So I think that would be another uh, interesting project to tackle. That de- definitely will be. There's certainly, uh, I mean, North Korea, there's no end of, of interesting topics. <laughs> well, right. I'd, like to, I'd like to thank you once again, Dr. Hu Chiu-Ping, for coming and joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much, uh, Jaco, and also NK News Podcast. Yes, don't forget, listeners, that you can uh, subscribe to this podcast on the NK News website or through uh, wherever uh, good podcasts are found, such as at iTunes. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And uh, thanks, as always, to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast and to Arias Dare, our post-recording producer genius who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you and listen again next time. Thank you.